Welcome to Digital Yom, a podcast about living a symbolic life in a technological age. Man cannot stand a meaningless life. I'm Jason Smith, Jungian analyst and author of Religious But Not Religious, Living a Symbolic Life. And in this episode, we confront the dismissive attitudes that many people have about dreams and explore recent research that confirms their meaning and value for our lives. It's the human soul. That's the buried treasure. following episode is adapted from a blog post that I wrote back in November 2015. It was titled, Is Dream Analysis Really Useful? This is the second of a three-part series on the value of dreams for the development of the symbolic life. I've updated and expanded the original content for this episode. The dream is often occupied with apparently very silly details, thus producing an impression of absurdity. Or else it is on the surface so unintelligible as to leave us thoroughly bewildered. Hence we always have to overcome a certain resistance before we can seriously set about disentangling the intricate web through patient work. But when at last we penetrate to its real meaning, we find ourselves deep in the dreamer's secrets and discover with astonishment that an apparently quite senseless dream is, in the highest degree, significant, and that in reality it speaks only of important and serious matters. This discovery compels rather more respect for the so-called superstition that dreams have a meaning, to which the rationalistic temper of our age has hitherto given short shrift. In last week's episode, episode 19, Dreaming and Reality, I suggested that dreams hold a unique value for the growth and practice of the symbolic life. Not only do they offer an accessible means for learning to relate to non-rational experiences, but they also have the potential to deepen our understanding and perception of ourselves and of the world and our place in it. However, in order to begin to take our dreams seriously, which is to take the psyche or the soul seriously, it's probably important that we first address the deep-seated prejudices that exist towards things like dreams, and indeed anything psychic. 
even if we ourselves don't hold these prejudices. They are part of the culture in which we live and, therefore, still have the power to undermine our trust in the workings of our own psychological depths. At the beginning of the 20th century, Sigmund Freud declared that the dream was the royal road to an understanding of the unconscious. Over a hundred years later, despite extensive research into the processes of sleep and dreams, as well as the experiences of countless thousands of people who have been helped by engaging in the analysis of their dreams, skepticism over the value of dreams in psychotherapy and in everyday life continues to persist. In the scientific study of dreams, one of the qualities most often remarked upon that differentiates dream activity from other forms of mental activity is the bizarre and almost hallucinatory quality of the images that are often encountered during dreaming. The bizarreness of dreams and our own tendency to accept the weird happenings in them at face value is what most distinguishes the dream experience from that of normal waking life. And it's just this peculiar quality, together with the uncanny nature of so many of our dream images, that makes it so hard for our waking minds to accept that dreams have value and meaning. As Carl Jung points out, the dream is often occupied with apparently very silly details, thus producing an impression of absurdity, or else it is on the surface so unintelligible as to leave us thoroughly bewildered. Now, for those of us who are convinced of the value of Jungian psychology, and certainly those of us who have studied and trained in Jungian analysis and psychotherapy, the value of dream analysis is beyond question. But for many people just discovering Jung's work, or for those who turn to therapy simply to get relief from their troubles, or, or who are seeking meaning in their lives but have never given their dream life much thought, such an undertaking may seem frivolous or even irrelevant to their lives. After all, there probably are very few of us who, when waking up frightened from a nightmare as a child, were not comforted with the words, it's only a dream. And who hasn't been told by someone who thinks we're being unrealistic about something that we're living in a dream world, or you're just dreaming. All our lives we're taught both implicitly and explicitly that dreams are not real. There's something separate from our waking life, which, of course, we call real life. The prejudice against taking dreams seriously is certainly prominent in certain quarters of the scientific community, despite extensive research pointing to their value. For instance, Francis Crick, one of the co-discoverers of the structure of DNA, 
once famously stated that dreams are nothing but meaningless information that the brain discards during sleep. Crick's view, which is generally discredited today, became jokingly known as the garbage dump theory of dreams. But it represents an attitude that is as old as it is enduring. In Romeo and Juliet, the character Mercutio launches into an extended rant, dismissively mocking what he sees as the foolishness of dreams, after Romeo tells him that he had a dream warning him that it would not be smart for them to go to the party that they're planning to attend, the party where he will end up meeting Juliet. After listening to his friend go on and on, Romeo tries to shut him up. Peace, peace, Mercutio, peace. Thou talkst of nothing, he says. And Mercutio responds, True, I talk of dreams, which are the children of an idle brain, begot of nothing but vain fantasy which is as thin of substance as the air and more inconstant than the wind. Shakespeare's Mercutio lives on in all the dismissive attitudes towards dreams that we've discussed so far. And on some level, this attitude exists inside all of us. It's no surprise, then, when Jung states of dreams that we always have to overcome a certain resistance before we can seriously set about disentangling the intricate web through patient work. Dream analysis, like any vital and creative experience, does not begin with theory. It is first and foremost a practice. Just as understanding the chemical compound of paint will not make you a good artist, learning the neuroscience of dreaming is not the same as a genuine encounter with your dream. In other words, it's only through engaging directly with your dreams that you can discover the real value they hold and express. If you're of a skeptical frame of mind, all the theories and concepts will not go very far in convincing you. But a dream is not something you have to believe in. It is, however, something you have to experience. And only when we approach a dream with openness and sincerity and only when we do the patient work that is required are we rewarded with the kind of new and healing insights that dreams can provide. Only then do we experience the dream as an intelligent and meaningful communication from the unconscious. An experience, suggests Jung, that can be astonishing. But when at last we penetrate to its real meaning, he writes, we find ourselves deep in the dreamer's secrets and discover with astonishment 
that an apparently quite senseless dream is in the highest degree significant, and that in reality it speaks only of important and serious matters. This is a remarkable statement. The dream speaks only of important and serious matters. Jung's attitude is diametrically opposed to the dismissive ones that we've seen so far. Dream analysis for Jung is no light matter, and it is certainly not just a parlor game. Jung was reportedly very impatient with simplistic or glib approaches to working with dreams. He knew that dream work was a rigorous activity that not only challenged some of our most cherished notions of ourselves, but could prove to be a force of transformation in our lives. Throughout human history, right up to the present day, dreams have been used as sources of creative inspiration, vehicles for spiritual development, tools for problem solving, and even as methods for diagnosing illness. A study done in 2015, for instance, published in Explore, the Journal of Science and Healing, offers evidence that dreams can play a role in the detection of breast cancer. Another study, this one by Jungian analyst Robert Bosnack, followed the post-surgical dreams of heart transplant patients. Bosnack found that many of these dreams could predict which patients were likely to reject their new organs. On the other hand, the best long-term outcomes were accompanied by dreams with images that symbolized the incorporation of the new heart, as when one patient dreamed of accepting a rose from the deceased donor. And these are just tiny samples of the important and serious matters with which dreams deal and which working with dreams can uncover. For those of us who work with dreams on a daily basis, there is no doubt that they can offer a powerful means to growth and healing. And so it's no wonder that Jung was led to conclude the discovery compels rather more respect for the so-called superstition that dreams have a meaning, to which the rationalistic temper of our age has hitherto given short shrift. Now, I mentioned earlier that the bizarre and often hallucinatory imagery of dreams tends to be a stumbling block when it comes to taking dreams seriously. As it turns out, however, neuroscience has revealed that there's a striking continuity between the activity of our minds when we're dreaming and the activity of our minds when we're awake. The only difference is that when we're awake, our conscious mind fine-tunes, so to speak, the constant and spontaneous activity of the unconscious mind. And so the neuroscientists Lena and Paré declare, wakefulness may be described as a dreamlike state 
modulated by sensory experience. Wakefulness is a dreamlike state modulated by sensory experience. And this modern understanding of waking consciousness touches on that ancient question asked by Socrates that we looked at in last week's episode. What proof could you give, he asked, if anyone should ask us now, at the present moment, whether we are asleep and our thoughts are a dream, or whether we are awake and talking to each other in a waking condition? And it's reminiscent as well of Jung's own idea that in waking life too, we continue to dream beneath the threshold of consciousness. In other words, this voice from our deepest self, which is what the dream really represents, is always speaking through us, whether we're aware of it or not. And so if we take dreams seriously, we are led into profound questions about the nature of identity. Who is it now in my ear who hears my voice? Asks the poet Rumi. Who says words with my mouth? Who looks out with my eyes? What is the soul? I cannot stop asking. And it's for this reason, I believe, that Jung at one point will make the rather bold assertion that all dreams reveal spiritual experiences. And it's to this dimension of dreams that we'll turn to in our next episode. Until next time. You'll find information in the show notes for all the sources used in this week's episode, as well as links to connect with me on social media. Let's make this a conversation. If you have any comments or questions about anything you heard in this episode, or that you'd like me to address in a future episode, send them to me on Facebook or Twitter. And finally, if you want a deeper dive into the kind of material explored on this podcast, please check out my book, Religious But Not Religious, Living a Symbolic Life, available from Chiron Publications. Thanks for listening, and take good care.